Hello, and welcome to the Revive Church podcast with Pastor Todd Mazengo. I'm your host, Paul Garner. Thank you for listening today. I wanted to share with you a quick detail about these podcasts. Many people in countries outside the U.S. are listening regularly to these same messages as you are. Countries like New Zealand, Germany, the Philippines, India, Ghana, Singapore, Colombia, Mexico, and Hong Kong. These messages are impacting more and more people. We appreciate you all and pray that your lives are being transformed by the Holy Spirit through the renewing of your mind. Today we are going to change things up just a little bit. Pastor Todd published a book a couple of years ago called Hide and Seek. He is joined by his wife Jan and Revive's assistant pastor, Massey Campos, to discuss this series about the lies that hide in our souls that lead us to believe things that are not true and then to act on those beliefs. Today they are looking at the stronghold of depression. A stronghold is a fortress, a result from 1 Corinthians 10, 3-5, of speculations that become lofty things in our minds that are raised up against the knowledge of God and become beliefs. Pastor Todd teaches us today about depression as a type of stronghold where we are believing things that are not true. Let's listen in as Pastor Todd, Jan, and Massey discuss this thing called depression from the Word of God. Be sure to listen to the end for some important information. Uh, So what we're going to do this morning is we're continuing in our series called Hide and Seek. Hide and Seek. And we're talking about strongholds, lies that are hidden in your belief system. And like hide and seek, once we go and find that place where someone's hiding and we expose it as a hiding spot, it's no longer a good hiding spot. And what we're going to do, expose where the enemy is hiding lies in our system so it's no longer a good place to hide. And today we're going to talk about depression. Depression, because a lot of people face that around the holidays. Now let me make a disclaimer before I get started, okay? If you are on medicine for depression... Don't stop taking your medicine. And let me tell you why I don't think you should stop taking your medicine. Because I 100% inequivocally, without doubt, believe that you can be delivered from a spirit of depression. I 100% believe that that bondage can be broken off of you and removed in a moment. But I don't believe in testing God and saying, okay, let's just stop and see if you heal me. I think God will let you know you're healed, and he will tell you to quit taking your medicine, and that's the right time to take, stop taking your medicine. But for today, what I want to deal with is people who are dealing with that depression kind of on a regular basis, the ups and downs, the lows, the highs, those kind of things. Uh, and so I'm going to start with this scripture that's in Proverbs 12:25. It says, anxiety in a man's heart weighs it down, but a good word makes it glad. Uh, in, in Isaiah 61.3, you actually sang them this morning. You may not remember it, but you sang these words. To grant those who mourn in Zion, giving them a garland instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the mantle of praise instead of a spirit, everybody say spirit, of fainting, or yours may say heaviness. Uh, They will be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. I want to look at that word, fainting or heaviness, depending on what it says in yours. It's the same Hebrew word. The Hebrew word there is keheh, keheh. And this is what keheh means, the definition of keheh. Dull, dim, colorless, dark, faint, like a wick of a flame that's almost out. 
Read that again. Dim, dull, colorless, dark, faint, the wick of a flame that's about to go out. It says that's a spirit that comes upon you. So I'll use this as Todd's definition this morning of depression. I think depression is a rejection of any reality other than the dismal one you currently believe, regardless of the facts. Uh, uh, you want to write that down? Okay, good. Here we go. Depression is a rejection of any reality other than the dismal one you currently believe, regardless of the facts. So let me, let me tune it down into a spiritual. Depression is believing an alternative reality than the one God gives you. God does not give you a spirit of depression. God does not give you a depressed life. That's not what Scripture says. So if I'm believing a dismal reality, it is one other than what God provides. So this is what I want to do this morning. I want to look at someone who walked themselves straight into depression. And I want to look at how they did that. What were the steps that got them there to depression? Because here's what the Scripture tells us that we're talking about in hide and seek. That we have thoughts. And those thoughts turn into lofty things. That happens when we begin to measure my thought against God's thought. Well, God, you said this, but this is what I'm thinking. It moves from there into a speculation. A speculation is when I believe my thought is more correct than God's thought. This is my reality, God, so what you're saying can't be true. When that happens, the stronghold sets in. Now I have a lie in my belief system that what I think is right and what God thinks is wrong. That's the lie that the enemy's hiding in you that we want to call a stronghold and we want to get that broken off. But there's a man in Scripture in uh, 1 Kings 19. His name is Elijah. Most all of us know this story. He's dealing with a king named Ahab. There are two gods, the God of Baal and the Almighty God in the territory. And, and Elijah is telling Ahab, it's time for a showdown. It's time for us to decide who we're serving. So this is what we're going to do. We're going to set up two altars. The prophets of Baal will set up an altar over here, and they will call on Baal to come and do something to that altar. Elijah will set up an altar over here, and he will call on God to come and do something to that altar. So they set this up on a mountaintop. There are 450 prophets of Baal and 400 of Asherah, and they're all gathered around this uh, altar, and they're trying to call on Baal, and they do this all morning long. Even to the noonday, they start cutting themselves in a way of pleading to Baal to come and show himself in some way. Elijah almost mocks him and says, where's your God? Is he taking a break? So Elijah says, let's call upon my God. But before he does that, he has an altar with wood on it. He says, I want you to bring me water. Now listen, if you haven't seen this before, I want to show it to you. He says, three times I want you to cover my altar in water, but each time you do it, I want you to do it with four pots of water. Four pots of water three times is how much water? Twelve representing the 12 tribes of Israel, the sons of uh, Israel, the tribes of Israel. What he's saying is, we're going to call upon the God of Israel here. And so he calls upon God and boom, not only does the wood and the stuff on the sacrifice, but the actual altar gets consumed. It's just laid to waste in ashes and all the water in the trench is gone. Just cleaned house. And then Elijah says, now it's time for the prophets of Baal to die. So they slay them all, 450 of them with the sword, the other 400, all of them gone. That's where we pick up in, in 1 Kings 19 because Ahab has a wife. The king Ahab has a wife. Her name is Jezebel. And Jezebel steps into the picture here. 1 Kings 19.1, if you got it, say I got it. 
If you don't, say go ahead anyways. Okay. Now Ahab told Jezebel, king tells his wife, all that Elijah had done and how he had killed all of the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, so may the gods do to me and even more if I don't make your life as one of them by tomorrow at this time. In other words, Jezebel said, I will make sure you're dead by tomorrow at this time. Three, this is Elijah. And he, Elijah, was afraid and rose and ran for his life. And he came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. And he came and he sat down under a juniper tree. And he requested for himself that he might die. And he said, it's enough now. Oh, Lord, just take my life, for I'm no better than my father's. And he lay down and slept under the juniper tree. And behold, there was an angel touching him that said to him, Arise and eat. And he looked and behold, there was a head of bread cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. So he ate it and he drank it and he laid down again. And the angel of the Lord came to him a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat because the journey that you're going on here is too great for you. So he arose and he ate and drank. And he went in the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, the mountain of God. Then he came there to a cave, and he lodged there. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? And he said, I've been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the sons of Israel, they've forsaken your covenant. They've torn down your altars. We killed the prophets with the sword. And I alone am left and they seek my life to take it away. Here's a man who just had this incredible experience, and now he's hiding in a cave saying, God, just kill me. Just get it over with. I've got nothing left to live here. I'm no better than my father's. It's done. I'm over with. That's why I'm hiding in a cave. So what I want to do today is look at what led him to that place. What, what got him to a place where he decided, it's just done. I'm the only one left. Go ahead and take my life. I want to look at maybe four or five things here that led Elijah to that place of depression. And the first one is, hear me out, often, often mountaintop experiences are followed by valleys of depression. Often mountaintop experiences are followed. You have to look at the life of Elijah. It becomes very confusing. Elijah had 16 miracles happen that are noted in Scripture where other people saw the miracle. It was an, an amazing thing he did. At one point, he raised a widow's son from the dead. Through the prayer and God's direction, there was a fast for three and a half years that Elijah called for. He had just called down fire from heaven on an altar in front of all those people and and the fire came and the altar was gone and they slew 850 prophets. And then he runs and hides in a cave. See, oftentimes I see people who come upon a great event. Maybe it's the holidays. Maybe it's something great that went on with your work. Uh, maybe a family thing. Maybe a vacation. But after that vacation, after that great thing happens, then we slump into this low place where we get depressed and, and see there's this rush that comes with the mountain, the top experience, and we really don't know what to do with and that rush is gone and we end up in kind of a depressed place to be. What would I learn from that out of Elijah? Listen, if you're one of those people, learn to expect the low. 
In other words, no going into the holiday, no going into the vacation, no going into that great experience at work, that afterwards the enemy's going to come after you and he's going to try to pull you down. He's going to try to take you away from that mountaintop experience and get you alone and get you depressed. We have to know that's coming because I believe if we know that's coming, then we know what to do to keep it from taking us out. I'll show you more about that in just a minute. Let's look at the second thing. I think the second thing is oftentimes other people's opinion can bring oppression and depression on us. See, in verse 1, Jezebel said, So may the gods do to me even more if I don't make your life as one of them by tomorrow about this time. I want you to hear what I'm about to say. The effect of another person's threatening words on you reflect your belief in God's view of you. What did I just say? What I just said was, if another person can threaten me and take away my view of what God believes of me, then I have a belief problem in God. Are you hearing me? So I have to know who I am in Christ and who I am before God. Let me tell you something about God and you. He likes you. He really loves you. Scripture says that he loves you as he loves Christ. I mean, God has a great opinion of you regardless of what you think of yourself. Why? Because once you come to know Jesus, you are now hidden in Christ. And so he sees you through his son. Listen, scripture is very clear about what God views us as. I'm not going to read each of those scriptures to you, but you know these things. You're made in his image. You're a child of his. You are a co-heir with Jesus. You are healed by the stripes of Jesus. You're given authority. You're raised to walk a new life. You're given an abundant life. You're a friend of God. You're provided for. You're protected by, and you're granted an eternal life with him. Those are good things. Those are really, really good things. And this is how God looks at you. He says, I'm so desirous of a relationship with you that I'll send my son to clear out the punishment of what you've done to me so that I can have an eternal relationship with you. Why would he do that if he doesn't like you? God likes you. His opinion of you is good, and he wants that to be what you have. So when someone else comes and tries to bring you down, you have to remember who you are in him. Because maybe what they're saying to you isn't the truth. And the truth is what God is saying about you. Number three, I think the third thing that brought Elijah into a depression was his own input, his own opinion. Let me tell you what I mean. In verse four, he said, I'm no better than my father's. So we've started the comparison game. He's also said, it's not enough. I can't handle it. Can I ask you this question? When you are depressed... Who is the absolute worst person to talk to? You. You. You are a terrible counselor when you are depressed. Stop listening to yourself. Why in the world, if I were depressed, would I want to find somebody that's depressed and say, would you counsel me? That doesn't make any sense. So when I'm down, why do I want to listen to me? I'm the depressed one. I can't give any good counsel in that place. I begin to create a reality that's not even there. I mean, it's like having a really, really bad friend. It's like having a bad friend that comes to me and says, your dad was a real man, but you, you're a putz, you know? <laughs> you know, he goes, hey, your mother was wonderful, but you're not so great. Hey, buddy, nothing is going to work out for you. This is going to get worse. Who wants that kind of counselor? 
But that's the kind of counsel I give myself when I'm down. The scripture says the power of life and death is in the tongue, and I have to remember what I'm speaking over myself. It's crazy what we do there. He goes on to say, it's enough, God. It's enough. I can't handle anymore. Kill me. I'm done. It's enough. Let me ask you a question. Who is better to assess what's enough for you? You or God? Yeah, see, because we learn from Job that God decides how far the enemy can come against you. God decides. He says, listen, there is no one else like Job. No one on the earth, the Bible says, no one else like Job. So God says this, you can go all the way to the point of death with Job and you'll not get him, so don't kill him. And he doesn't. And does Job succeed or fail? He succeeds. Why? Because God could assess how much he could take. God knows you well enough to know how much you can take. So don't tell God you know more about how much you can take than he does. Mm, 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 mm. that's ticking some of you off. (laughs) God clearly hasn't read my charts lately. He doesn't understand. Number four, the fourth thing I think that took Elijah into that depression is Elijah takes a posture of depression. Elijah takes a posture of oppression. In in verse three, it says he sat down by himself. In verse nine, it says he went and lodged alone in a cave. Let me just say it to you this way. Going to the cave is Todd Mozingo's first act of stupidity. Because every time that something's bothering me, I draw into myself. I get all alone. Why? Because I actually want me to be the only person I get advice from when I'm down. It doesn't make sense. You can't take the posture of being alone. Uh, There's no worse place for you to be when you're depressed than by yourself. Because there's no one there to give you reality. You're going to give yourself whatever feeds your depression, and that's not what you need. It's absolutely amazing what we can convince ourselves of when we're down, when we're depressed. Uh, And I would say this. You would agree with me, those of you who are not depressed, would agree that being alone and counseling yourself is a bad decision. So this is what I want you to do, those of you who are not depressed. I want you to write that down. Don't be alone and counsel yourself when you're depressed so that when you get down the next time, you can read your note and see, at one time I was intelligent, and now... (laughs) uh, Satan wants to get you alone. It's where he does his dirty work. It's where he schemes and plans, and he says, do you remember how they didn't look at you when you walked by last week? Do you remember how they didn't invite you to that thing that they did? Oh, it's all adding up here. See, if you put all those blocks together, the truth is nobody likes you. He wants you to feel hopeless. He wants you to feel fear. He wants you to feel condemnation. He wants you to feel aloneness. Number five, Elijah builds an unrealistic view of things. I am alone they're going to kill me. I am alone. Let me just explain something to all of us. You are not alone. You are just by yourself, and there's a difference. There's a difference from being alone and being by yourself. Being by yourself is not necessarily a bad thing. Being alone can be a bad thing, but you're not alone 
you, I love the, what happens with Elijah. Elijah says, I'm the only one. And God says, you just missed that by 6,999 people, Elijah. Good job, because there are actually 700 that are following me, and you think you're alone. That was close. You're just 7,000 off. Yeah, so you're not alone. Uh, let's go to number two. Nobody has to deal with what I'm dealing with. You're wrong. The scripture tells us there's nothing uncommon that's come upon any man. Whatever you think you're dealing with that nobody else has to deal with, not only are you wrong, but they've had to deal with that and worse. There are people who've had to deal with what you're dealing with and worse. Wow, somebody just get mad at me. Okay, so you'll say, but it's terrible. Maybe. It may be terrible, but listen to me. It could be worse. I don't care how terrible it is. If you're still sitting here breathing alive, it could be worse. Okay? Okay, you say, well, it can't get any worse. Yes, it can. Yes, it can. There's always a worse. Most of the time, you can even identify the other things that would happen that would make it worse. So, yes, it can get worse. But here's the biggie, and nobody cares. That's a lie. I just need you to hear this morning as I go against Satan on this topic, that is a lie that nobody cares. I want to tackle this and help you understand why it is that there are people who care. Here's what happens. You have decided how somebody shows you at this time how they care, and if nobody has done that, then nobody cares. And what's really happening is they do care. Some of them don't even know how to show it. Some of it are showing it in ways you don't know. And you're sitting back saying, no, what have you done for me lately? Because that's my measure of whether you care. And I'm saying it's unfair, it's unreasonable, and it's unrealistic to imagine that nobody cares because there are people around you who cares. You just don't give them the opportunity to you accept the way they're showing their care. Some of them in a phone call, well, why didn't they come by? Some of them in a dinner invite, I don't want to go out, why didn't they bring me a meal? There's always a reason why I can identify you didn't care, but the reality is there are people around you trying to show they care, but you don't want to accept their version of care. <clears throat> so here's what you do. You decide it's time to tell my closest friends how to show me that they care. So that when they do it, I'm now mad at them because I had to tell them. And so they're doing it out of pity and it's not real, it's fake. Listen, there are people who care about you. There are. There are people who care. They may not know how to show it. I have to do that. Okay. So 17 years ago, I was teaching a Bible study class. There were 82 people in the Bible study class. And my wife's mother died very suddenly in a seven-week period, got sick and died seven days later. And for three months, nobody in that Sunday school class contacted us. We were stunned. Nice little depression. How could we be around all these people and nobody cares? So one day, we finally got up enough courage to gather a few of those leaders and say, tell me what happened. Every one of them said the same thing. Man, you guys are the leaders. We didn't know how to reach out to you. It's not that they didn't care. It's that they didn't know how to reach out. And that's really something you have to learn. You have to learn what it means to do for people without asking. I'm here. I'm going to stay on this point. Listen, when somebody is going through a trial, when somebody's depressed, when somebody is hurting, do not ask, how can I help? 
Let me tell you why. Because what you've just done is put another burden on them to come up with a way that you can help. Don't ask, do. You might do the wrong thing. They might not like pumpkin pie. They might not want their yard mode. I don't care, but do and then let the other person receive. So you've taken the burden off of them of trying to help you help them. Does that make sense? Okay, that was free. That was a side note. We're going to get out of it. But here's my point. There are people around you that care. Most of them don't know how to show they care. Some of them shy back because they don't know how to deal. Maybe what you're going through is hit a hard spot in them and it's made them withdraw to deal with that and therefore they're not showing they care. But they do care. You just have to be able to say, whatever you got for me, friend. I know we've been friends for a while. I know you're around me. I know you know me. You know, let, let's, let's accept whatever. But you are not alone. The sky is not falling. You will survive this. The world is not coming to the end. Everybody has a tragic story and there's always someone who can one-up your tragic story. You will make it through. How do I know that? How do I know that everyone in this room will make it through a tough time? Because you're here. It means you've already been through the tough time. It means you've already survived a depression. It means you've already survived a tragedy in your life or whatever it is that might bring you down. You're here. You're going to make it. And maybe when something else came upon you, if you would stop and say, I made it through the last one. I'll make it through this one. I don't know how. I don't know what it looks like. But God's not going to let me down. I'm going to get through this thing. Mm. So when you're depressed, you are not in a place to build a realistic view of the way things actually are. You're not. I, I love you, but you're not. You cannot determine a valid view of reality when you're depressed. So stop believing anything you have to say about it. I think depression is probably one of the best examples of that stronghold process. Uh, that steps toward it. What happens is I have these thoughts. Uh, I've lost my job. Uh, my marriage is a wreck. Uh, I don't know what I'm going to do. And so then I start measuring them against God. Well, God, you said I'm supposed to have an abundant life, and I don't feel like I'm having an abundant life. And, and you said that you would never leave me or forsake me, and yet I'm feeling alone. And, and it seems like nobody cares, but you say you always care. and you always, So I don't know what to do. And then the speculation comes. Obviously, God is not listening to me. Obviously, God is not caring because things are not getting better. It's getting worse. So what I've got to do is I've got to fend for myself. God doesn't love me anymore. And listen, right there you are at the stronghold of the lie. You're at the place of God. I don't believe that you actually love and care for me because you're not here. So it's really critical that we stop that process before it gets to the stronghold, that we cut it off at the pass, that we stop when we see the first symptoms. And I want you to remember something. When we read that Isaiah scripture, it said that he gives you something in place of or instead of the spirit of fainting or the spirit of heaviness. I'm going to call it today the spirit of depression. There is a spirit of depression. There is depression that comes upon you that is a demonic oppression. That demonic oppression has to be broken off of you. It has to be commanded in the authority of Jesus' name to leave you. It is real. It is tragic. And I don't want to see you in that place. So we have to do battle against that, which we'll do in just a minute. So how do I avoid this depression, this, this thing from coming on? Number one, do not do the things that Elijah did. Don't get alone. Don't talk to yourself. Don't run and hide. Don't be afraid. Don't, don't take the posture. Fight against the feelings of depression because they're not pointing you to a reality. Listen to your friends. 
They're not lying to you. They're not just trying to make you feel better. Because listen, they are trying to make you feel better. But their goal in trying to make you feel better is to remind you of what the truth is. And they're the ones who are in a clear place to think so they can give you sound advice. Believe God's version of truth and not the one you're telling yourself. Hear me out. The way to defeat the enemy that brought you depression is by declaring that you believe God's reality, not the one the enemy has brought you. Here's what's at the core, the stronghold, the core of depression. Depression is a misplaced belief. You're believing a reality that is not the truth for you. Depression is, uh, this is tough. Bear with me. Write me an email later in the week. Maybe even after Christmas. Let me get through Christmas. I believe that depression is a defiance to the promises of God. It is saying, I believe what I believe over what you've promised me, God. Depression is agreeing with the enemy about how your life should go. And it's submitting to the devil's plans for your life. So we've talked about lies in our belief system that create these strongholds. So what are the lies of depression? The lie is that God does not have good plans for me. The lie is that God is not, God's word is not the truth for me. The lie is that I am not worthy of what God offers me. Now, let me shake your boat for a minute. Guess what? You're not. You're not worthy of what God offers you. But through Christ, you are made worthy. Okay, because it's a gift by grace through faith, not of works that any man could boast. There's nothing I can do to be worthy before God. I mess up a bunch. But through Christ, that messing up has been taken care of, and I stand before him in a righteous status because he who knew no sin became sin so that I might become the righteousness of God in him. That's a good news. So the lie is that whatever I tell myself is more valuable than the words God has to say. Do you remember where we started this conversation? It was in Proverbs. In Proverbs 12, 25, it says, anxiety is in a, man, in a man's heart, weighs it down, but a good word makes it glad. But a good word Let me just show you that on a practical level, and then we're going to jump into it on a spiritual level. When you're down, when something has gone wrong, uh, let's, let's take a scenario. You've lost your job, and so now you're at home, and you're depressed, and you're thinking about bills and your kids and family, and how am I going to do this and make the payments, and all of this stuff is becoming overwhelming. But someone calls you, and here's the word. Dude, they picked the wrong person. They didn't mean to fire you. You're supposed to come back. There's another person they're firing. Your heart then becomes glad. The heaviness that was there gets lifted off of you. Why? Because of a word. Because a word came in and it broke the heaviness. How does that apply to us spiritually? Listen, the power of the tongue holds life and death, right? Life and death are in the tongue. So you can speak death over your life, or you can speak life over your life. But if there's anything you're going to write down today, write this down. Depression shuts your mouth, and you beat it by opening your mouth to God. 
Now watch, watch. Have you ever met a chatty, depressed person? (laughs) Have you ever met someone who is the life of the party talking who is depressed? No, why? Because when you get depressed, it shuts your mouth. And therefore, words of life cannot flow out of your mouth. And if death and life are in the power of the tongue, then I have the power to bring life with my tongue, but I can't do it if my mouth is shut. Why do you think we go into the cave and get alone by ourselves when we're depressed? Because the enemy's tool is to shut your mouth. Well, what did you think? Has God been speaking to you about any of these things? We would love to hear from you. You can email us at info at reviveusnow.com. What if, in our attempt to get something from Scripture, we are missing the point of that Scripture? What if in our desire to do better and walk our Christianity more closely in line with Scripture, we are missing what the Scripture is about? Pastor Todd's latest book, Flip the Script, takes a fresh look at what the Scriptures are meant to teach us about the Kingdom of God, so that application comes from spiritual understanding instead of behavior modifications. This new book is available now on Amazon, Flip the Script. This podcast is brought to you by Revive Church of Stewart, Florida. You can learn more about us at our website, reviveusnow.com. If you would like to support this ministry, go to our website, reviveusnow.com give. If you live in our area or are planning a visit to our area, we would love to have you join us. We are located at 8851 Southwest Old Kansas Avenue, Stewart, Florida. If you enjoyed this podcast, why not click to subscribe right here on the podcast site of your choice. That way you won't miss any of Pastor Todd's and Revive Church's future podcasts. Thank you for joining us.